Good morning. Welcome all our guests, visitors, and radio listeners here today to First Church and this beautiful Sunday morning. We've got a few announcements before we get started. The roses on the altar this morning are in honor of two couples celebrating anniversaries. Wayne and, Ket- Wayne and Karen Kettler will celebrate 50 years on June 7th, and Jay and Kathleen Elsoff will celebrate 56 years on June 8th. So congratulations to them, two couples. Uh, it's not too late to register for Vacation Bible School. Forms are available at the doors, and you can also register online at our website at firstchurchnk.org. There's a list of craft items needed in the bulletin. Uh, if you could take a look at that, and any items you could donate may be placed in the box in the Heritage Room. On a sad note, Gene uh, Little's father passed away yesterday, um, if you get a chance to see Gene on that. In two weeks, on Father's Day, June 16th, the Columbus Manashore German Choir will be here at First Church to perform a concert as part of the First on the Moon celebration happening in Old Grace County. The concert begins at 2 p.m. On that morning, several members of the choir will also be with us to sing during church. And now I'd like to invite uh, Trustee Ned Buttermark up on updates on the heating system. morning. Um, Just a a brief update, and maybe some of you have noticed this going around the church. Most of the demolition has been done. Uh, There are four radiators remaining uh, in the women's lounge, the women's restroom, the men's restroom, and at the southwest entry of the church in the upper hallway. Those are the only four radiators that need to be taken out at this point in time. Uh, equipment, some has already been shipped and is in place. Uh, the two boilers are down in the boiler room, not in place to be plumbed yet, but they are sitting there with the stands that they will be setting on. Also, um, some of the larger fittings that will be used are down there, and also the pressure tank. Um, I was informed that they feel like they are well ahead of schedule at this point in time. Um, and things are going well. Uh, they will not be working the week of vacation Bible school, so they will, they will, won't be an issue then. Uh, is, and if there is somebody here that week, they will be restricted simply to the um, boiler room. Uh, monetarily, if you'll notice on the back of your um, bulletin, you have the heating system campaign goal. Uh, for those of you who are on or listening on the radio and don't have a bulletin, um, the goal was 847,800, and as of May 23rd, we have 662,885 that has been either in hand or pledged. So we're still a little short, but um, well on our way. And if you have any questions concerning any of this stuff. Um, Bob will be around after church. <laughs> I guess I'll be here too. <laughs> Thank you, Ned. And now, if you would, please, those who can stand, please join me for the call to worship. Taken from Psalm 138. 
I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness. For you have so exalted your sovereign decree that it surpasses your fame. When I called you, you answered me. You greatly emboldened me. May all the kings of the earth praise you, Lord, when they hear what you have decreed. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. The Lord is exalted. He looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. The Lord will vindicate me. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. We will continue to stand and sing our praise song, Ten Thousand Reasons.
As the children come forward, please greet your neighbors. Good morning. How are you guys? Yeah? Are you guys ready for summer vacation? Who's ready for VBS, Vacation Bible School? Yeah? All right. Miss Shelby has a fun activity for you guys this morning. I have two bowls with me. The bowls here you see are clear, so you can kind of see what's inside the bowls. Outside the bowls, what are these guys? Sponges. Sponges. Okay. And inside the bowl, what do I have? What's in this bowl? What is it? Or anything in there? No. No? Okay, so the water's clear. What's in this bowl? Dirt. Dirt. Hi, you guys want to come up here and see? So in this bowl, there is gunky yuckiness and dirt and water mixed combined. We're going to be pretending that this sponge is us. And in our walk with Jesus, if we do good things, we can put our sponge inside this water, we can bring it out, and we can squeeze it. Oh, hold on, Ben. We can squeeze it, and there might be a little bit of soap in there, but soap makes us clean. But there's no dirt in here that came out of my sponge, right? Do you see any dirt in here? No? Okay, so I'm going to set this one right there. Reagan, you want to give me that one? Now, I'm going to take this sponge, and this sponge is clean right now, right? And I'm going to put it in this water. And if the dirty water is going to be kind of like if we do something bad. So I'm going to put it in here. I'm going to switch it around. And if I pull it out, uh-oh. What's on my sponge? Dirt. Well, that's not good. Let me, if I... Squeeze it. Do you see how that water that I'm squeezing out is like brown? And look all over Miss Shelby's hand. What is all that messiness? Dirt. There's dirt on me. Oh. Well, it's kind of like in our lives when we do something maybe not so good that maybe we shouldn't have done. But you know, you know what? Even if Miss Shelby's going to move this stuff closer. This, all this dirty, nasty, brown dirt, see, I'm picking it off. And I can pick some of this off. And you know what? This, this clean dirt, I'm going to put it right inside there and let it soak. But that clean dirt is kind of like Jesus. When we have Jesus in our hearts, even though we maybe do something not so good, I can put that sponge in that clean water and I can swish it around and kind of squish it. You see all that dirt coming off of there? Now look at my sponge now. All right, when I squeezed it out, do you see all that dirt in there? How much dirt is on my sponge? Not a lot at all. There's a little bit. You know what? But we're sinners, and we're always going to have some sort of dirt on us. 
But you know what? When we put ourselves in Jesus' clean water and we do good things, Jesus makes us clean. Just like the sponge got clean again. Now, there is a little bit of specks, but for the most part, it's very, very clean. Well, there's a couple of different paths in life that we can take, and it's either a good path or a bad path. And Miss Shelby has a Bible verse for you guys today. And it's Psalms 32, 7 and 8. And it says, Jesus, you are my hiding place. You protect me from troubles. You surround me with victory. And the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will guide you and I will watch over you. So kind of like I guided this sponge from dirty water to clean water. And that's what Jesus does with us in our lives. He guides us into from a bad situation into a good situation. And he makes everything better. We just have to have him in our hearts and seek him. So, um, you guys, let's go ahead and pray. Can you guys pray with me? Dear Lord, be in our hearts always and guide our path. Let us always praise you each step of our life. Amen. Lost in our service in the last week. In Australia, Lance Corporal Hans Sandoval Perriera, 21, from Fairfax, Virginia. In Washington State, Missile Technician 3rd Class Nathan A. Castor, 21, from Milton, Florida. In South Carolina, Senior Airman Amelia Joseph, 32. Senior Airman Jose Lamas, Lanas, 28, from Sumter, South Carolina. Good morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together this morning. Father, we come to you today and we lift up, um, Lord, so many in our, in our community and, and in Western Ohio and Indiana, as well as other places around the Midwest who have been the victims of severe weather this past week, uh, the tornadoes that touched down in the Dayton area and Salina and, and, and the other, uh, others that have, were affected by similar storms, Lord, we, we ask that you would provide for them. Lord, we thank you for the many who have stepped up to help in this time of need, and we ask for, for continued support and continued provision for those who have lost so much. Lord, you are good, and we trust that you can make good even out of a, of a terrible situation like this. And so we ask that you would, uh, you would be with them, and that, Lord, that even in this, that you would make your glory known, that you would make yourself known, and that people would find peace and find strength in your presence in their lives. Lord, we ask for, uh, for those that are uh, in need, Lord, again, that you would provide for them and that you would use, uh, use us, Lord, to make a difference in people's lives. Lord, we also this day want to lift up those uh, who are in authority over us, as your word calls us to do. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, you say, Paul says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. 
This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. And this has now been witnessed to at the proper time. Lord, I, I ask for wisdom and for discernment and guidance for, uh, for those in authority over us in our government, for our president, members of the House and the Senate, as well as the Supreme Court, and including the state and local governments, Lord, that represent us as well. Lord, we ask for your will to be done. We ask that you would uh, guide them and, and, and Lord, that uh, you would give them a hunger and thirst after your righteousness. And Lord, in all things, as we, as we reflect on that, we also pl- realize that uh, nothing in this world will ultimately save us, that our hope is ultimately in you because, Lord God, you have provided for us through Jesus Christ. And no matter, uh, no matter Lord, who is in, who is in uh, charge here, we know that you are in control. No matter what happens in this world, we know that you are sovereign. And we thank you and praise you for that good, good promise and sure hope. Lord, we pray for those in our own church and community that are in need of healing. We ask for your, uh, your healing for those who are in need of it. We ask for your uh, provision for those who are in need, Lord. And for all those of us who carry in, Lord, uh, unspoken burdens, uh, there are often things that we are carrying that we don't tell anyone else about. Uh, and, and so, Lord, we ask that you would meet us in those moments and in those needs as well. Because, Lord, you know our hearts and you know our minds. You know our requests before we even lift them up to you. And so we ask that you would, uh, that you would guide, uh, guide us, that your spirit would be present in our lives. Whatever we need, Lord, that you would provide according to your will. We pray these things in the name of Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Let's stand, if you're able, and, and sing together number 579, Jesus Loves Me.
and you may be seated. Our offering this morning is going for, towards the general fund here at First Church of New Knoxville, and we're blessed to have uh, a ladies' choir with us this morning singing Jesus Paid It All. I invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward.
scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Thank you. You may be seated. Lord God, we thank you that we can gather together this morning to worship you, to give you glory, um, because you deserve it, Lord. Um, you deserve it not just on Sunday mornings during this hour, but each and every moment of our lives. We, we, we acknowledge, Lord, your goodness and your provision, which sustains us each day. We ask now as we turn to your word that you would, that you would feed us spiritually, Lord, as we reflect on what it means to love as you loved us and how we can show that to others, even as we disagree with them. Lord, instill us with your spirit and help us to not just hear this sermon today, but to live it out as we go from this place. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. When I was a youth pastor at uh, my previous church, uh, one of the things that I had the opportunity to do, uh, especially the latter half of my tenure there, was teach an adult Sunday school class. Uh, There was a a wonderful couple that had taught the youth Sunday school class for generations before I ever showed up on the scene, and they wanted to continue to do that. And so that kind of freed me up to, to participate in adult Sunday school class during that time. For a time, I just attended one, and then over, over time, as I, as I felt more confident, I, I began to teach an adult class in addition to the youth activities that I would do. And, and one of the studies that we did together was a study on, on corporate worship uh, and, and kind of not, not too dissimilar from the ser- sermon series we just finished up on why we worship, why we do the things that we do together as Christians. And it was one of the conversations we had in that class uh, dealt with what our vision of a perfect church would be, how, what we would do to create a, a perfect church. And I still remember one of the ladies in the class uh, responded and, and caught me completely off guard. And she said, uh, she said she wouldn't want to uh, have her perfect church. And I told her, I said, why? Why wouldn't you want what you want? Why wouldn't you want your perfect church? And she responded in all seriousness. She goes, because nobody else would want to be there either, right? If, if she just got her way all the time, if everything was according to her uh, desires and preferences, and if everybody had, if the requirement to be in the church was that everyone had to agree with her, she realized that nobody else would be there because we, dis- we, we can't agree on everything. Even as Christians, we disagree at times about minor issues, whether it becomes the faith or life in this world. The reality is that none of us agree all the time. And so the question then is, how do we navigate life? How do we love others like God has called us to, even when we disagree with them, or even when we don't, uh, whether, it, whether it's uh, disagree in terms of, of beliefs or philosophies or political perspectives, or whether it's uh, disagreement in terms of, of their actions and how they choose to live their life. You see, we're all called to love as God has loved us. That's, that's part of the great commandment, isn't it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We're called to love 
with the love that God has shown us. And so that's what we're going to be doing today. And, and before we just jump right into this question, I want to uh, thank everyone for submitting questions. This is week one of our Tough Question sermon series that we're going to be doing this summer. And it's, uh, I appreciate all of you that have submitted questions and, and, and let me know what some of those questions are that you have on your mind. Uh, when I first came up with this idea, I wasn't sure what kind of response that we'd get. Uh, and, and I appreciate your, your input because it's, it's what really has shaped our, our plans for the summer. And if you notice in the bulletin, starting last week, but also this week and moving forward, you'll see what questions or what topics we're going to address week in, week out. And so I encourage you to take a look at that and, and see what kind of questions that other people have submitted. Um, we did get quite a few and some of them were very similar. And so we were able to kind of combine them and, and put them together in a, in a given week. And some questions I have received after we put the schedule together. Um, so I'll continue to try to address those and, and put them together as best I can. My, my goal this summer is to address as many, if not all of the questions as possible over the course of the summer. Uh, but before we do that, with, with the idea in mind that we are going to uh, disagree on certain points. I think it would be good for us as a church, as we go through this sermon series together, to have some starting points that we can build off of. And this applies to our sermon here today. It kind of fits right in with the topic, but I think it also applies in general to, to how we, how I hope we will handle this sermon series together. And the first thing that goes, uh, the first starting point I want to encourage us to think about is to keep the main thing the main thing. What I mean by that is, is keep focused on Christ and Him crucified. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, when Paul was talking about the Corinthians, he says, I didn't come with all wisdom and all knowledge. He says, I came and preached Christ and Him crucified. That's what Paul made the center of his ministry, and that's what I hope to make the center of, of ours here in this church, including when we handle some of these more difficult questions. So we want to keep the main thing the main thing. First, And then second, we want to, as Christians... Uh, agree that we, we need to start with Scripture, right? God's Word is authoritative in all matters of life and faith for us as Christians. And so while, and we'll talk about this a little later this morning, while not all people in this world, right, claim to be Christians and claim to to make Scripture authoritative in their life, we as Christians must agree as a starting point uh, to make that a priority. And so when we talk about these tough questions, we're always going to be going to Scripture first and foremost, and Scripture is going to be a big part of that. In fact, if you follow along on our uh, version, uh, the Bible app, uh, you know, each week we have the, the sermon uh, topic and everything. There's lots of scripture references there that I'll be referencing today and others that I probably won't get a chance to squeeze in. But there's plenty there to read. And, and the reason for that is because we want to keep grounded in scripture. We need to submit ourselves the best we can to the clear teaching of God's word. You know, the Bible is very clear on some issues and maybe not so much on others. There's going to be some things that we can point to scripture, uh, chapter and verse and say, this is what God says on this subject. And it's, it's clear. It's right there in front of us. There's other times where, where maybe it's not so clear. There's not a specific chapter and verse that we can point to. Uh, in those cases, we need to ask the question, is it consistent with the character of God as it's revealed in scripture in general and in Jesus Christ in particular? Is the, the, the way we want to answer questions when it's maybe not 100% clear is to make sure that whatever conclusion we come to, whatever direction we feel God is leading us, it needs that we need to make sure that it's consistent with God's nature as he's revealed himself in Scripture, and, and particularly, particularly through the person of Jesus Christ. And third, we need to remind ourselves that God is big enough to handle our questions. 
He's big enough to even handle our doubts, right? God is the truth. Uh, he ha- all truth, all good things come from Him. And so if we are honestly and earnestly seeking out the truth and, and seeking out what God desires for us in these matters, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. And God desires that we come to Him with those questions and with those doubts, which is why we are here today, which is why we are doing what we're going to be doing this morning and throughout the summer is bringing some of these big questions to God and, and, and allowing Him to work in and through us and, and through His Word to help us answer some of these questions to the best of our ability. And sometimes at the end of the day, we're still maybe not going to see eye to eye on certain things. And, and so we also need to have grace and be able to show love to each other, even when we disagree on certain things. And that brings us again back around to our question for today. You see, the re- reality is that we live in a divided world, don't we? Uh, verse 43 of our passage from Matthew 5 says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Right? We, we, we take whatever issue it is, whatever, whether it's, church, whether it's politics, whether it's economics, uh, whether it's uh, community issues, uh, we tend as human beings to categorize us as, uh, put ourselves in the categories of us versus them, right? And we, we polarize the issue to the extremes. And I feel like that is even more true in our world today with the advent of social media and, and the ability to uh, have the whole world at your fingertips when it comes to uh, the kind of access we have to information and technology. We have a hard time seeing the perspective of others, especially people that we d- disagree with. Instead of trying to understand where they came from, we just uh, dehumanize them and, and make them the other, right? Instead of trying to work with them and try to see where they're coming from. And when we do that, when we, we dehumanize the other group, whether whatever the issue is, we disagree with them, and we do it in order to justify excluding them or, or, or justify hate or oppression or even refusal to come to the table and talk about issues, right? It was the same in Jesus' day as it is now. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Love those who love you. Love those who are like you. Love people that you can get along with. But if you can't, then forget about them. Right? Isn't that sound pretty similar to the way that we approach things today? We, we do live in a very divided world, but that's not the way that, that it should be. That's not what God is calling us to, how God is calling us to live as Christians. But to get down to it, you know, when you have different issues or different perspectives, the question comes up is who is right and who is wrong, right? That's, that's underlying the issue here. Who gets to decide what is right? A similar question is to ask, is truth relative or is it absolute? You know, if truth is relative, it's if there's no right and wrong and, and only what's right for me and only what's right for you, then there's really no starting ground to have a conversation. Right? If truth is simply about my perspective and my perception on the world and what I can decide what's true for me and you can decide what's true for you, then there's no way we can have a real conversation uh, because there is no starting ground for us to build on. And so if there, but if there is an absolute truth, then there is something that we can build off of. There is an idea that we can, we can find some sort of common ground and be able to then work through our issues because we are able to see that there is something bigger and beyond ourselves. Uh, many years ago, there was a, a debate, uh, very publicized, very, um, 
oh, I don't know the right word I'm looking for, interesting uh, debate that was set up between Ken Ham of the Creation Museum and Bill Nye, the science guy. And it was, it was live streamed over the Internet. And, and, and we, I, I remember watching this and thinking that this whole conversation is going nowhere because they didn't have so, any sort of shared perspective or common ground to build off of. Now, no matter what your perspective is on that issue, you would, you kind of, both sides kind of came away thinking that they won the debate because they were just talking past each other instead of being able to talk to each other or with each other. Ken Ham would often uh, base his answers on, well, the Bible says so and so, which for him as a, as a Christian with that perspective, that made sense to base his position or base his authority on God's word from, in that way. Well, Bill Nye just simply would laugh it off and, and go from a different direction. And the same would happen in reverse. Bill Nye would bring up something and Ken Ham would just kind of ignore him in the same way. Both sides, like I said, kind of went away as if they had won the debate, when in reality there was nothing gained or nothing uh, that came out, nothing positive in a sense that came out of that, because there was no common ground or shared sense of authority. Now, as Christians, we believe that there is an absolute truth, right? There is a way for us to know the truth, and that is through God and his revelation to us. And that applies to all people of all time because all people were created in the image of God. In Romans chapter, and we see this in two ways, in Romans chapter 1 as well as Romans chapter 2. Uh, the first is the testimony of creation. In Romans 1, Paul tells that the God is making himself known to us through creation. His invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine ma- nature have all been clearly seen through what he has made. And so people are without excuse. And so you see, we live in an in a ordered, intelligently designed universe that points to a creator. And if there is a creator, then he created us with a purpose, with a sense of right and wrong which is determined by whether or not we're living according to the purpose for which he created it, right? If we're here by accident, if there is no creation, then there is no purpose. There is no absolute sense of right or wrong because there is nothing to determine that for us. But if, in fact, we live in a universe that has been created, then there can be a sense of purpose, a sense of right and wrong determined by that creator. So we see that through creation, but also in uh, the, the, the testimony of con- our conscience too. And then in Romans chapter 2, Paul goes on to talk about, about how we, are, we, we judge ourselves by our conscience. Um, in verse 14, he says, Indeed, when Gentiles, who is the nations, uh, the world, uh, who do not have the law, do by nature things required of the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they don't have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and the thoughts and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. You see, we have this idea, this sense of right or wrong that's just ingrained in us as well. You know, people can just know that something is right or wrong. They may not be able to explain why they feel that way, but if you were to just walk up to someone on a street and ask them if, if it's wrong to murder someone, they're most likely going to say, yeah, of course it's wrong, Right? That's just, there's just certain things that are just ingrained in us, and I believe it's because it's an imprint of the image of God in each one of us. And so we do believe that there is, as Christians, that there is a right and wrong. There is absolute truth that we can base our opinions off of. Uh, but God calls us to rise above uh, this, this sense of division, this sense of, of, of us versus them by loving people like he loved us. 
by demonstrating his love in a broken world. You see, in Romans chapter 5, God te- Paul teaches us that God loved us even while we were still sinners. Even though we were enemies with God, he showed us love by sending Christ and dying on the cross. That's what love is really about. It's not about just loving those who can love you in return, but it's about loving people even when we disagree with them. And we can see that in ourselves as well, right? We don't always agree with ourselves. All right, I've done plenty of things in my life that I didn't agree with. I've said things that I know I shouldn't have said, right? I disagree with myself in those areas, but yet I still love myself, right? And we can all, we can all understand that from our own perspective. We don't always agree with the things that we do or say or think. We want to take it back immediately, yet we still find a way to love ourselves. And so we need to be able to extend that same sort of love to those that we disagree with as well. And finally, and also to to love your enemies is not just a free pass to approve or support their decisions. It's possible to love someone and still disagree with them, right? That's exactly what Jesus did for us on the cross. He loved us. He saved us and redeemed us, even though while even while still disagreeing with our sin, right? That's why he did it in the first place, to redeem us and rescue us from those things. And so that's the kind of love that we're called to have for others, And so what does that love look like? Well, we need to love like Jesus loved us. We need to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us because that's what God has done for us. And so it's not just for those who deserve it. Anyone can love someone if they get something in return, right? Anybody can do a good deed if they know it's going to be reciprocated. But it takes a special kind of love, the the kind of love that God has shown us in Christ to love something and not expect anything in return. When we learn to love like that, that's when we will truly become children of God, when we will reflect Him in this world, right? Children are meant to look like their parents, right? They're called to reflect the attitudes and the beliefs and the understanding that their parents have in this world. We, we do that by nature, right, with our own children and with our own parents. And so in the same way, we're called to be children of God, to reflect His love and His grace in this world as well. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus reminds uh, the people gathered around him that, that he came to, to save. Uh, it's, it's, not the, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it is the sick, right? He came to rescue those who were in need of rescuing. And so we need to show love. Uh, we also understand that showing love, especially to our enemies, has a positive effect. Right? When we live in the world in a way that is both loving and God-honoring, people will see it and are pointed to God in response, right? They see the way that we live, and they they see the way that we treat other people, and in response, they are able to then see God's love shining through us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God, on the day that he visits us. You see, the way that we carry ourselves, the way that we treat other people is a testimony to the love that God has shown us in Christ. And even as we disagree with people, even as people maybe are, 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 are antagonistic towards us, we can still respond in love and kindness and grace and mercy. And in doing so, it's a testimony to God's love in this world. People may not agree with what you believe or people may not see you from, see 
the world from your perspective, but they can see good deeds. They can see kindness. They can see love on display. And when they do that, they're seeing a glimpse of God and his character in this world. And so we need to, to, to choose to love like God loves, even if we don't, uh, even, even towards people who, in our, from our perspective, don't deserve it, um, so that we, they can see the love of God shining through us. But how do we do that? What does it mean to truly love someone? One, we need to show them love by providing material support. Think of the story of the Good Samaritan. Right, the, the story of the Good Samaritan, very familiar to us all. Jesus had just uh, told them the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so a, a teacher of the law responded by saying, well, who's my neighbor? So Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan, this man who was robbed and beaten and left near death on the side of the road. And, and three people came by. The first was a priest. The second was a Levite. Religious leaders, the people who had it all together, crossed to the other side of the road and left him in the ditch. But the third person who came by was a Samaritan. Now you have to understand the Samaritans were the bad guys most of the time, right? They were the people that were different both racially, religiously, uh, geographically. These were the, the, this was the other. These are the people that everyone avoided, right? They would, when traveling through Israel from north to south, they would actually go around Samaria even though that was the shortest distance. But yet it was the Samaritan that showed love and he showed it by providing for this person in in real and and practical ways. He he bandaged him up. He cleaned him up. He took him to an end so that he could be continued to be cared for and provided for on his dime, not expecting anything in return. So love means showing and providing real material support to other people, even if we don't expect anything in return. Love is also providing spiritual report for people, spiritual support for people. It's being willing to pray for people, even if, again, we don't agree with them. It's about asking God to do his will in their lives. To love someone is to want God's best for them, and there is no better place than to be in the center of God's will. And so, so praying that God would transform their hearts and ours as we learn to love them as God loved us. There's an old Irish prayer that's a blessing It says, may those who love you, love you. May those who don't love you, may God turn their hearts. And if he doesn't turn their hearts, may he turn their ankles so we'll see them coming by their limp. Right? That's often how we we treat other people, right? Right? Turn their ankles so we can see them coming. But God wants us to pray that their hearts would be transformed and that they would, that that we pray honestly and earnestly for their good. I truly believe it's, it's, it's impossible to continue to hate someone or continue to hold a grudge with someone when we constantly and consistently pray for them. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7, uh, Jeremiah is speaking, and the Lord is speaking through Jeremiah to the exiles in Babylon, and, and he encourages them to pray for the welfare of the city. Right? They were in exile. These were the enemies. These were the people who had ruined and destroyed their lives, and God says, pray for them. Pray for the welfare of the city. Pray for their peace. Pray for their prosperity. That's what we are called to do as well. And so we need to provide for them physically and uh, love them by providing for them materially and, and spiritually. Um, and, and after doing that, then we must be willing to speak the truth in love. It's only after those first two points are established the that we are able to truly do this because we need to demonstrate that we actually care for them as a person and we're not just trying to win an argument. 
Most people aren't willing to listen to what you have to say until you prove that you care for them. Right? You need to build a, a relationship with them and show them that you care before they're ever really going to listen and hear what you have to say. And it's not done. It's not like this manipulative thing like show them you love them just so you can win the argument in the end. That's not the point. The point is to love them as God loves us. Right? That's what this whole thing is about. And that means that they may never come around and never may see things from our perspective or, or, or agree with us when it comes, especially to matters of faith. But we can still love them. We can still build a relationship with them and demonstrate God's love in real and practical ways. And then so that when the time comes, when that opportunity arises, we can then speak the truth and share the gospel with them. We need to point people to the truth of the gospel and ultimately toward Christ. In John chapter 8, there's the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery. All right, the, the, the religious leaders throw her down at Jesus' feet and wait for him to pronounce judgment over her. Jesus reminds them, he says, that let the one who is perfect cast the first stone. And then he just begins to just doodle in the dirt a little bit. Just kneels down and starts drawing. And one by one, the religious leaders go away. It's just starting with the oldest and then finally the youngest until it's just Jesus and this woman left. And Jesus says, where'd they all go? Do none of these people condemn you? And she says, no. And he says, well, then neither do I go and sin no more. And there's two really important truths in that passage and just that, that simple exchange. He says, neither do I condemn you. There's grace there. Christ died so that we could be forgiven, so that our sins would not be held against us anymore. But then at the same time, he says, go and sin no more. Go leave your life of sin. We respond to God's grace by turning away from those things and turning towards Christ. And so, and so we as Christians don't want to shy away from the truth, but we always need to, to hold grace and truth in tension together. In John chapter 1, it says Jesus came full of grace and full of truth, both together. It's not an, we, we live in an either-or world, but God says we need to be both and, grace and truth. In closing, I want to uh, share a few thoughts on how we can uh, share some, have ground rules for effective communication. This passage ends with, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This idea of, of perfect isn't, isn't exactness, isn't without fault completely, but it's the idea of being complete and genuine and mature. We're called to love people like God loves us with a real, mature, complete, deep kind of love. And that means that we need to be intentional about how we treat people and how we, uh, how we communicate as well. Right, we need to remember that all people, uh, or excuse me, all communication that we have, especially when it pertains to people we disagree with, should both honor God and other people. Right, all people, whether they're Christians or not, whether they're friends or whether they're our foes, were created in God's image and worthy of dignity and respect. And so to treat people as anything less than that goes against God's desire and God's will for us in our, in our lives. Even if we disagree on every single topic, we can still need to look at that other person in the eye, realize that they were created in the image of God just as I was. They, were, they are sinners in need of a Savior just as I am and, and begin loving them right there. We need to be quick to listen 
slow to speak and slow to become angry, as it says in James chapter 1. We need to actively listen and, and hear what the other person has to say, not just listen in order to refute their argument, not just listen uh, to, so we know when to jump in and, and, and share our side of the story. We need to listen to understand, listen to see their perspective and see where they're coming from. Right? We don't want to succumb to the temptation to always and immediately justify ourselves. We need to hear their story and know why they think the way they think. And so that way we can truly speak to them as a real person and speak to them in a way that may be winsome and effective. But we can't do that until we hear their side. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, Paul writes, 26 and 27, he says, In your anger, do not sin. We need to make sure that we don't let our anger or our disapproval or our disagreement with another person to drive the conversation. Anger is a a natural response to external stimuli, right? It's a normal, natural thing for us to get angry about a situation. But it doesn't mean that that anger has to rule the day. It doesn't mean that our anger has to drive our conversation and drive our response toward another person. We can't control our situations. We can't control what other people think or what other people do, but we can control how we respond to it. And lastly, we need to learn to speak, to build each other up, not to destroy. From Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. We need to learn to speak in such a way that it's meant to build people up and not tear people down. Even as we disagree with people, right? It's not about backing down from the truth, but it's about presenting it and sharing it in such a way that that edifies each other and builds each other up, right? We want to ask ourselves, why am I saying this? What purpose does this serve? Am I really trying to love someone as Christ loved the church, as Christ loved this world, or am I just trying to win an argument? Am I just trying to get one by and, and, and make them mad, right? You need to ask yourselves, why am I saying this? Because our goal should be to build each other up and not tear each other down. We live in a, a very divided world, and, and we must remember that not everybody's going to see things from our perspective, especially as Christians. We have a unique perspective, right? Believing in, in God's word and, and, and the truth that he has revealed there, believing that that is authoritative for our lives. We have to understand that not everybody's going to see things from that perspective. The world, especially an unbelieving world, right? A, a person who claims no allegiance to Christ, we shouldn't expect them to think and act the way that we do. Right? That doesn't mean that truth doesn't apply to them, but we can't expect them to act and behave like Christ followers if they've never claimed to follow Christ in their lives. And so we also we need to we need to understand that and, and, and again that's going to help us see things from their perspective and help us to have real meaningful conversations if we can understand that as well. But in all things we must learn to build each other up and seek to seek to love people as God has loved us in Christ. We may not always win the argument, we may not always convince people to see things from our perspective, but we can love them and and love them through our actions and love them by praying for them. Let's pray together now. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, I ask that you would help us to love people as you have loved us. Lord, it's not easy. And in our own strength, we're going to fail. So help us, Lord. Give us uh, your spirit and fill us with your love so that we may reflect it and share that with a world desperately in need of more love. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
In closing, let's stand and sing number 284. They'll know we are Christians by our love. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. You may go in peace.